This podcast is brought to you by the website of doom.com. Hello and welcome to episode five. I think that's the number we're on now um, of Aaron Fever Talks 2. Uh, this month, Aaron Fever, which is myself, will be talking to Jordi Belair, who is my best friend. And uh, I'm sure that would embarrass Jordi uh, to say that, but she is. Um, she is top three most influential people in my life, and um, not just on a work level, although her work is amazing. She's a, a comic book colorist of epic proportions. She won the 2014 Eisner Award for doing so and is nominated to, for the 2016 Eisner Award for comic book coloring. Uh, she is amazeballs. But outside of that, on a personal level, she's also amazeballs. And anyone who's lucky enough to be her friend will tell you that. I want to I wanna go on for hours about just how amazing she is and how good she's been to both myself and other people. I would, And I would love to do it mostly because it would make her cringe so hard. So hard. But I won't do it. But needless to say, uh, I love her with every beat of my heart. And um, I don't think I'd be able to do half the things that I am doing currently if not for her support. So, uh, yeah, she's she's amazing. So that's probably a heads up to know that I am a bit of a sycophant. Um, and uh, there won't be any hard-hitting questions where I grill her and try and uh, freak her out in any way. This is not that podcast. This is a podcast where uh, I talk to a close friend and we chat about comics and how she got her start in things and uh, life growing up in Florida. So this is this kind of leaves just me to say that uh, this podcast would not exist if not for Patreon and my lovely supporters on there who have helped pay for uh, just the bandwidth to put this podcast up. And if you are inclined at all, and I would, I would be thrilled if you were, to go to patreon.com forward slash Aaron Fever, you will be able to donate just as little as $1 a month to help keep the lights on. And, uh, you know, as someone who writes uh, silly articles and makes podcasts and writes comic books and doesn't get paid a cent for any of them, um, it's uh, greatly appreciated if you are so inclined. So all that leaves is to get on with the chatting. It's very like I'm in play school. Because we have to be next to the microphone. We don't have to be that close. We don't have to like talk directly. <laughs> no, it's happening. <laughs> I'm just trying to make sure you're fine. I'm fine where I am. If you really want a chair, I can get you a chair. No, it's okay. Okay. Um, we could just lay down with our heads facing the ceiling <laughs> and talk to the microphone, like a lay down interview. So like, what do you think asleep. that cloud looks like? <laughs> well, then I would just fall asleep in the middle of the podcast. <laughs> That'd be so good. What are you supposed to be working on today, anyway? Batman. Oh, Batman, okay. And finishing up some Nameless City stuff. Okay. I thought you were doing that. I finished, I just got to do some prep stuff for the publisher. Okay. But yeah, I colored a lot of pages of that in a very short amount of time. I'm very proud of myself. <laughs> so you should, what was it, 250 pages? 233. 233. The other issue is 250-something. Okay. Uh, <laughs> it was intense. Yeah, well, that's only just come out now as well, though. I feel like you did, you the did first that. Volume, first you volume. You did that yeah. ages ago. Yeah, I finished the first volume the same around time. It was uh, due April 15th last year, and it came out like just last week. And now we've just finished the second volume, and the second volume, I think, is probably going to come out next spring as well. So. Okay. Because I know there's a long term, like it's like, what are you usually working three months behind release dates? Oh, well, this is different because it's a comic book. Or not yeah. a comic book, it's a book book. It's, yeah, it's a book. It's a Someone was telling novel. me that another Irish artist here, she was working on a book and that she finished her something like two years ago. Book publishers just work on way longer okay. finger. I think because they send them around people and they got to do a lot of stuff with like 
pitching it to bookstores and things. I think it's a pretty big deal. Okay, but what what is a what is the normal comic turnaround then? Oh, a month. Oh, really? No, that's four not weeks. Right. Because like the- four weeks. Four weeks. Everyone's expected to do an issue within a four to five week period. Yeah, but you're working like an issue or two ahead of yourself. Like, because Dacton's working on 10, but when does 10 come out? It comes out in a month. Does it? Yeah. Oh, okay. I thought that was more lead, like head Four time. Four weeks. No, oh, a lot it. of it we call it lead time. You're supposed to have lead time, but then the lead time quickly gets swallowed up by <laughs> things like life and late stuff coming in and people, you know, because lead time, you normally, I think like if a book is well on time, like for instance, like Moon Knight right now is going really well. We're on issue... Issue one just came out, and the artist has already finished issue four. That's see, that's what I was thinking. There's like two or three sort issues of ahead. Unheard for, unheard okay. of in my position. I've never had a book so far ahead. I'm pretty amazed and really grateful. Like okay. Greg's awesome, but normally it's not like that. Normally it's always a a month to month grind. But right now we have a lot of lead time on that, and I'm very grateful. But I think a lot of that's also on Jeff Lemire because Jeff Lemire is super professional. He gets all of his scripts written well in advance. He doesn't let anybody wait for him or anything. Who's like who's the fastest artist you've worked with in the terms of like the person who kinda gets you so quickest? Oh, that's a hard question. Well, I think everyone does their best, so it's kind of like the quality versus the quantity as well. I think Mike Hawthorne, we were doing double shipping Deadpool for a long time, okay. which is really stressful, especially yeah. when you run out of your lead time because then you're doing two issues every five weeks. Like, that's tough. That's really mm-hmm. tough. Full-size issues with no help. I think Mike was getting an inker, but Mike's pencils were so intensive. So, I mean, I think Mike's probably one of the fastest, even though it was always up against the wall. If you look at Mike Hopper and stuff on Deadpool, he's drawing, like, 20 buildings, cars, people, horses, New York City skylines, explosions, like, crazy things under really tight deadlines. Because here's the thing I don't understand. Is like <laughs> if, if a comic double shifts, if it's, like, one issue every, like, two weeks or so, uh, and it it's well known within the comic community that like an artist takes a month to do an issue. Mm-hmm. How do they expect? To... You have lead time. You okay. hopefully have the lead time built up. So it's always yeah. for like a mini series then. Yeah, sometimes double shipping can run longer. Like I was working on one series for a while where we were doing a really good job at doing one issue a month, but then the publisher liked it so much that they told our editor, "Cool, so we want to have eighteen issues of this 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 year," okay. which is like. That there's not 18 months <laughs> yeah. so like that became pretty stressful so we already had run out of lead time because we had already been doing a successful series so far up to issue 5 so then somehow we were supposed to pull out double issues starting all you know what I mean so yeah, if you announce yeah. that something's double shipping at the beginning of something you can build that lead time your writer gets things to you your artist gets the time they need to get ahead like right now Moon Knight could probably start double shipping and we'd be okay because we have four issues done and we just right. started yeah, number one yeah. but then there are some times where don't have that benefit of lead time and if it just suddenly decides to be double shipping no it's hard there's like it's almost impossible and that's when you start getting splits that's when you start getting artists who don't have family time you start getting people who have to ink other people who didn't want to be inked split colorists very stressful stuff <laughs> it's very stressful for everybody including yeah. editors and everybody it, nobody really likes double shipping I would have to say it's very hard but I don't even think they, like the people who buy comics like double shipping because, <clears throat> I don't know if that's true well I just think like because uh, I know comics can be an expensive hobby to read that's true um, and uh, if, you, if you're kind of doubling the amount you're buying it can kind of add up pretty quick I guess so but I mean you're only they're only you're doubling your need for that story though so I mean it's I guess for people who really want to read a lot of Magneto or a lot of Moon Knight or a lot of Deadpool like they'll actually said it about Moon Knight but Moon Knight's never double shipped yet so I think it's like like for instance Moon Knight just came out and who knows how much of it's talk but people are already tweeting me like I want number two right now like, right, right, and Rick Remender right. did that with his book what book was it that he released was it Low that he gave out 
he did the first issue and then like less than two weeks later the second issue came out like okay. he did something where he gave the public what they wanted really quickly and then he kind of teased it out more after that right so i can appreciate that it's money but it's also money that people are putting down it's almost like they want to wait for the trade but they're not even waiting for the trade they're getting double the story within the same month I don't really understand the purpose of it myself. Yeah. But I think some fans really like it, and I think publishers like it, because it keeps a story exciting and fresh and constantly. People can go to the store and get what they want when they see it. Like It's true when you're, like, you're increasing the amount of revenue you're taking in as well for, for owners and stuff. Yeah. Um, all right. You're from Florida. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I, was, I was born in Virginia, but I'm from Florida. Yeah, I was going to say, like, what? Because I always... I've known you for, like... Four, three years? Four years. I four think. years? Maybe three. Well, I've had my cat for four. I think I've known you less than I've had Buffy, so we've only known each other for three years. Okay, three You're years. You're less important than the cat. <laughs> so, well, I knew that. Um, but uh, I've never, I've always known you were from Florida, but I actually don't know whereabouts in Florida you're from. I was a mutt. We just kind of moved around a lot because of my dad's job. He okay. worked for uh, managing in Circuit City. And so we just, he was a district manager and we just kind of, which means that you're in charge of like a certain district, if you will. So he would just move to certain like counties and be in charge of like maybe two or three stores. But that's me trying to remember that as a little girl. I don't know how many stores he was in charge of, but so we would move around place to place in Florida and be there for maybe three years. But when I was really young, we switched schools like every year. So I was like, yeah, I changed friends a lot, changed schools a lot until I was in middle school. And then we lived in the same town and then I got to keep going to the same school, but my parents had to drive me into school every day, 45 minutes, because I basically was like 16. Okay. So I was like, do I really have to start school over? Yeah. And then it did it again with my, my sister when she was starting high school, only they were too far away from her school at that point. So they could not keep driving her to her school. So she actually had to change school and everything, I think, in the middle of her high school year. Which was pretty sorry. That's secondary school. So she's yeah, well, like I know 16, high school. Yeah, so she's like fifteen to eighteen. Middle school is the always the one that throws me because that's something that we junior don't high. Have. Yeah, that's twelve to fifteen, eleven to 12. fifteen or so. Oh, that's okay. where you're really terrible pre-teenagers. Like everyone's, ter- it's like the worst. It's a cesspool of hormones and meanness. It's yeah. a really, really bad. Place. We see. We start our high school at like thirteen. Right. And we're there. But you're there with the 18-year-olds as well. Yeah, exactly. So I think you kind of learn to keep your mouth shut and not have so much of an attitude. But oh, yeah. in middle school, it's like three years are the difference. So everyone's kind of like just mean. It's like the meanest playground you've ever been to. <laughs> it's really dramatic and bad. But yeah, they uh, when we when we were moving around, I don't know if that was a... We just stayed all over Florida. So I would say sometimes I'm from the greater Orlando area, which is like near Disney. But in truth, we were really not in Orlando. By the end of it, we were in the swamp. And now okay. my parents are like out near the beach. They just keep moving. So you would you be used to suburbs more than cities? Definitely, like, in the way of, like, New York City City. I never lived in downtown areas, but I always lived, like, like near cities, I guess. Okay. In tourist... Florida's, like, one big city because you're so close to tourist things everywhere you live. Like, right. there's no real suburbia, I would say. You live in okay. suburbia, but then two miles out, you could be in the Universal Studios parking lot. So, but, like, what's what exactly... What's the difference between Orlando and New York, then? For me? Yeah. The... the oh, man. Orlando... <laughs> I think... Orlando is everything's farther apart. You have to drive everywhere. You have to have a car or you have to take the risk of getting on public transport. And I think there's less to do in Orlando. Everything kind of costs money. I'm sure people would disagree. And actually, Orlando just recently built a train that does take you places. Ooh. It's like a, it's like the monorail situation. I was just going to say, is it a monorail? <laughs> yeah, yeah. They already had one in Ogdenville, so they thought, why not Orlando? <laughs> <laughs> so they, uh, we have that now, but I haven't used it yet. I know a few of my friends take it to and for work, and it's going to stretch out actually all the way to where my parents live. So now there will be a train, which is really convenient if you think yeah. about it. 
places that used to take two hours to get to in traffic. And maybe that's the thing, is that it takes two hours to basically get sometimes somewhere in Orlando because of traffic, or Orlando to wherever, but in New York City, you can just get on a train and be where you want to be in like 10 minutes. It just feels more like a city there, I don't know, more people. How long did you live in New York for? Only a year. Okay, yeah. and what, so what, what was the reasoning to be in New York? Just jobs and my dreams. <laughs> I wanted to live there really bad. Because where did you go to college? I went to college in Florida. Okay. But I really wanted to go to SVA in New York City. But my mom and dad were like, don't go so far. And so I said, okay, how about Philadelphia? Because they had a college, Philadelphia more for women. And they were like, Jordan, Philadelphia is still far. And so I said, okay. And then I decided on Ringling and I only applied to that school. I got into that school. And so I lived in Florida for another four years. But I had always wanted to live in New York when I was like maybe 16 years old, 15 okay. years old, when I first ever heard about SBA. So then I moved to New York City right after I graduated. I'd say like two months after I graduated college, I went right to New York. And after being so excited to be in New York, how come you're only there for one year? Because I met Declan and I moved to Florida. I mean, I mean to Florida, sorry. I moved to <laughs> Ireland. I moved to Ireland to be in Ireland with him because I liked him so much. Well, that's, that's like, because you were, because if you were in New York for a year, you obviously didn't meet him at the very start. Oh, of no, your, no, no, like, no. So how long did you know him before you decided to move to Six another months. continent with him? Six months. That's pretty back and brave. Yeah. Yeah, but I mean, I liked Ireland and I, I, back in the day I was always a, what did I always say? I'm a firm believer in, uh, what did I used to say? I used to say I'm a firm believer in, um, I can't remember. Basically, I would, oh, in quitting. I'm a firm believer in quitting. Like, I would just quit something if I didn't like it at the time. So, okay. like, I had quit jobs that I didn't like. I'd quit, like, you know, like, I guess I'd stayed with boys that I really shouldn't have been with too long. But, um, yeah, when I, when I moved here with Declan, I just kind of knew that uh, if it didn't work out, I could always go home. Like, I would have had to go back to Florida at first, obviously, because yeah. my apartment was gone in New York City. But I also had my best friend who I was living with in New York City. And her and I always knew, like if I ever wanted to go back to New York, her and I would both go back together. Cause she was also there for about a good three months after I left. So if any, you know what I mean? There was a bit of a safety net. If anything dramatic had happened, I think I would have went back. I had like three months, okay. kind of, but nothing bad happened and I stayed. <laughs> and I like it here. And now I don't want to leave. But I mean, how was New York for you? Like- I was poor. Was it, but did you expect that? <laughs> Uh, no. Okay. I guess when, I, <laughs> when, I, when I moved to New York at the time, I had just done a job with my, at our school in Ringling, they have these really awesome job portals that they call them where you, it sounds like really exciting job portals. Yeah, so right. this talking wall told me what I could do and I got a job doing this thing for this guy, this eccentric uh, British nudist. Did I ever tell you about this guy? No. He wrote a dirty book of limericks that were like really good. And so I got this job, my first meeting with him ever. He was like, he was really British, so I'm going to do my really terrible British accent. And he was like, sure, Jordy, where would you like to meet? And I was like, you want to go get pizza on Main Street? And this is like in Sarasota, because I really liked pizza. Right. And I'm like 22, 28 years old, and I was like not thinking like about what a professional meeting should be like. Yeah. So he shows up to Main Street Pizza. This like dude is like clearly 70-something. That was the whole thing is that he was putting this out for his 75th birthday or whatever. So he shows up there and he was like, this is a lovely place. I've never been here before. And I was like, I did not understand that this was going to be like proper. Maybe we should go someplace like with napkins. And right. he was like, I love pizza. Like, this is great. And then I was like, I'll pay, I'll pay for your slice. And he was like, no, no, it's on me. And I was thinking later, like, it's like $2. It was like the worst place. But after that, I worked with him and he was really cool. And that was my first job where I got paid lots of money. But lots of money to me at the time would have been like $10. I was yeah. really excited. I did get, so I got paid a lot more than $10. I think I got paid for that entire job. 
Maybe six thousand dollars total. Oh, wow, which is a lot oh, for a college what, kid. What exactly was the work? Illustration. Okay. So I was charging full illustration prices the way my school taught me. I had done covers, I had done revisions, we had done sketches. I worked with him for like a whole summer. Plus, he really wanted it. I mean, I don't know if I'm so proud of the work now. I was fairly young. I'm really happy that he gave me the opportunity, and he was so delighted with the work anyway. But um. Um, certainly a learning experience. Why don't I have a copy of this? Because it's like, I was like so embarrassed. It's like, I don't know if I like the work anymore. My mom definitely has copies though. But you know, when I moved to New York City, basically, I only had $6,000 in my bank, wow. which is funny because when you're young and you're excited, that seems like a shit ton. Yeah. Well. And you're poor for so long. You're like, I can do everything with $6,000. <laughs> like I budgeted myself for like six months too. And I was like, this is going to be great. And then I moved there and $6,000 in New York city, like just with rent and like just living alone does it did last me a long time. Admittedly, I think it did last me about five months. So I was really careful with my money, but it was, uh, it just, I got poor really, really fast. It was really bad. So, um, even when I met Declan, I was really, really, really broke and I didn't want him treating me to things. So it was really bad. I was like going negative and over withdrawn in my bank account, trying to like make yeah. it look like I was a regular person. He'd be oh, like, yeah. Let's go out for drinks. And I'd be like, no, I really shouldn't. Like, let's just stay here. I'm, I'm not much of a drinker. Right. And he'd be like, come on. I'd be like, okay. And so he'd buy me like maybe four ciders and then I'd be like, let me buy the next round. And he'd be like, that's great. And on the inside, I'm like, I can't afford this. But I would do it just so I could look like a regular, not terrible schmoocher person. But um, it was it was bad. New York City was nice, but I was poor. I had a mattress on the floor. I lived in a room that had no window. I had a desk that was literally next to my mattress. Like the mattress touched the legs of the desk. No window. I had a curtain that divided me from the living room. I had left my dog in Florida, so I had no companion. It was it was just bad. It was bad. And then when I'd gotten there, I was dealing with a really serious breakup and I'd started dating another guy and then I broke or he broke up with me. And so I was like double terror. It was just terrible. It was like really, really bad. So I think I don't really like New York City. I feel, I feel like this is like a seventies movie, like with like Dustin Hoffman, like yeah, yeah. It's like, but I really feel really Homer Simpson versus New York style. Like I really right. like it's nighttime, we gotta go. Like, I like, and then plus just the sexual harassment that I got in my neighborhood. I would come home crying all the time. Like I would go out and walk down the block just to go get something. I know a lot of ladies on Twitter, a lot of my friends talk about it, and I think it's nice that we all can talk about it and be upset about it. But there are times when you really just feel unsafe, like just really unsafe. Yeah. Our laundry room was also down in a basement. And when you would go down to the basement, it would be kind of connected to this outside courtyard that had a gate. So if like anyone actually got you on the other side of the gate, you'd be stuck. Like you wouldn't be allowed. And there were always guys hanging out there in groups. And when you're like by yourself and I was extremely, extremely depressed. I was extremely underweight. And I was like this tiny little, you know, white girl who people probably assumed, you know, I wasn't paying for my own apartment, even though I didn't live like in a great town or anything. I just, I don't know. I was really scared all the time and I could have been easily uh, hurt because I could not defend myself. I had no defense at all. I oh, I, like I was only in like New York for like four days and like this, like, and I'm a six foot tall, like I'm a slight man, but right. I'm, you know, You're tall. I'm, you've I'm, got big reach. I've, yeah, I'm, I'm not exactly like, you know, crappy looking and, uh, I got nervous just being in the subway. 
Yeah, even in the middle of the day, yeah. it just something about it just feels oh, yeah. threatening. Yeah, um, and so yeah, it's it's completely understandable that like you know a five foot seven girl who's like you know from a different like you know part of the country entirely mm-hmm. would feel intimidated there it was, as well. Yeah, it was scary, and guys were always saying something to you. I had guys follow me down for like whole streets for like five or ten minutes, like asking me why I was dressed that way and like things that they wanted to do and places they wanted to take me and I would just be like I feel so uncomfortable sometimes it was funny and lighthearted. like sometimes you could tell somebody maybe had a good mom or a sister where they knew that there should be a certain amount of respect in their catcalling but it was still catcalling nonetheless yeah. and there were some times that I was on the subway like reading a book and a guy would be creepy um, it was just weird yeah um, I think that's always something that girls are really good at but they've because they've had to be but they can kind of figure out a guy instantly, I think. I, I, sometimes you can be wrong, but I'd rather be wrong and safe. Like, yeah. Like, keep at a distance. My friend Jason told me this great story. He was on campus once at UCF. I mean, it's not great, but it was hilarious because I know Jason. Jason's like five foot two, the skinniest guy on the planet. Like, seriously, like, I cannot, like, he's like proper emaciated nerd thin. Really, right. really thin right, guy. Right. I love him like crazy, but I could totally throw him across a football field. And he was walking out of his course one day, and this girl was in front of him, and so he was walking out to the parking lot behind her, and at one point she got frightened because she knew he was behind her, and she pulled out Mace. Like, she didn't okay. turn on him or anything, but he sensed right there, like, I'm going to walk slower. He was <laughs> laughing as he told me this, like, me. She thought I would do something. Yeah, I was like, yeah, you know yeah. what? Like, it's hilarious because we know you, and that she could probably have taken you in a heartbeat just by, like, blowing She just heard face. footsteps. Right. Like, yeah. it's... You would much rather be safe with it. It reminds me of the John Mulaney thing. You were just talking about John Mulaney. <laughs> I love him as her stand-up and he talks about how he thinks that the woman can hear the train. Like, like he says, like, uh, she can hear the, the train coming in the floors of the New York subway. So he starts to give chase and run. And so she's running and then he's running behind her. But oh, she okay. thinks he's running after, after her. her. Yes. <laughs> and so when he comes up on her, she screams and he's like, oh my God, I'm just a regular young boy. I promise. And he said that was the first time he realized he was a grown-ass man. And he was like, yeah. because I... I feel like a little boy but she sees a grown man an adult man <laughs> I get that sometimes is that like I'm walking down the street and you know me I dress you dress I mean, nicely I dress nice I dress like I feel like respectable yeah it's very respectable um, young man about town and uh, but like sometimes I kind of you, you can tell like if it's late at night like someone will kind of like be a little bit protective and I kind of want to go like I'm wearing a man bag you're fine <laughs> and a but, like, coat it's, but yeah like but, you know you can't you can't really make, you can't well, like, blame somebody for being protective psychopaths and rapists and abusers can look like anybody to be fair yeah exactly they always say like what was it like Charles Manson was like delightful in person oh yeah charming <laughs> Ted Bundy like really really yeah. nice guys but that's that whole thing so anyways that's what I don't miss about New York City and I think that's an America thing too is that there's so many people and you just cannot you just, I feel like I just can't trust anybody there because there's so many people you don't know anybody it's so scary yeah I, I can understand that um, but let's talk about comics yeah I sounded too paranoid there but yeah I just no, love but... Ireland forever now <laughs> I love Ireland <laughs> Yeah, why did you here for 32 years? Um, so, uh, what was the first comic gig you got? Uh, okay, I colored Yearbook with Mooney, which was an Angel story, but back when it was still at IDW, they were closing out their run of Angel, and they did something called Yearbook, where there was all these short stories and anthology based around like all Angel things. And how did that happen? Because Mooney and I were talking at the time through Declan. Stephen Mooney for Sorry, Stephen Mooney. Sorry, sorry. Yeah. Me and Declan were talking because I really wanted to start paying my bills in New York City. 
as you want. Yes. And so I was like, I'll try this. Like, I'll try coloring and I'm going to try out for this job you're getting. And he was like, oh, you'll never get it. It wasn't at Marvel. It was something else. And he was like, they'll never hire you. Sorry. And I was like, I'm going to try anyway. Not that he was trying to like be demeaning. He was just kind of like, he didn't want me to be disappointed. That's very, that's very deaf. And I think also at the time he wanted me to keep drawing, not like switch gears. Because I was also really interested in drawing comics at the time. But I was like, I need money now, Declan. Let me just try this thing. So I didn't get the job, but he, at the time, was always talking to Stephen, and he sent down the samples I had done, and Stephen was like, she's pretty cool. Maybe she'll color this angel story I'm doing because my colors just got replaced, and we don't know if they've got a new replacement. So I stayed up all night that night coloring an image for Mooney for a Willow thing or something. Right. Uh, Willow as an Alice Hannigan from Buffy, and I sent it on to him, and he had written me back the next morning saying, I'm really sorry, somebody actually already got this job. I didn't know, but I'm going to hold on to the sample and show them. And like less than like a week later, he was like, hey, do you want to color these short stories? And I was like, does it pay? And he was like, <laughs> yeah, it pays. So I took on two short stories with him. So my actual first paid comic work ever was with Stephen Mooney. Okay. Yeah, a long time ago. I know he makes jokes that I'll never work with him, even though yeah. we work together. He's technically my first book ever. But um, they were short stories. And then from there, Declan sent all my stuff on to Boom which was really cool. He knows Matt Gagnon over there and Matt uh, put me, I remember that was like the most exciting Christmas ever. Uh, I, I was telling my mom and dad, like, you know, I'm going to maybe get this job. Like I sent this stuff over, like that exciting, like little butterflies you get in your stomach when you know, like when you're first getting your first cool gig and you're all nervous and excited. And then I got this email from Matt Gagnon, like, hi Jordy, like we saw some of your work. And I remember like we were in the car driving home from New York city for Christmas. And I made everyone shut up and I was like, you guys, I got this email. And I like, the email out to my family and I didn't even get a job. He was like, we'll keep you posted after Christmas. But I was still like, he wrote me back. He wrote me. And then came January and I tried out for a gig called Malignant Man, which was written by James Wan and okay. uh, drawn by Piotr, Piotr, Piotr Kowalski. I'm so sorry I fucked up his name. You're and, right. Yeah, he's great. But we did that together. And then after that, I got a little few books from Boom, uh, Betrayal of the Apes and Planet of the Apes stuff from Gabriel Hardman and Karina Becko and also um, Hellraiser by Clive Barker. Which is, like, totally your jam. It wasn't, though, because it was really, really, really bloody. And Clive always had notes, make the chains look wetter and... Oh, no, make the blood wetter and make the chains shinier. And I was just like, oh. It wasn't, <laughs> it wasn't my cup of tea after, like, five issues. And I also worked on that with Stephen Thompson, also from The Eclectic Mix, also from Ireland. So two of my really big starting books actually were with Irish people, go figure. Yeah. Because um, they're always talking about how they're not part of... American mainstream comics, and yet they got an American into American mainstream comics. <laughs> yeah, Suck on that, I know you've passed them all. Yeah, a little. No, no, they're all. Actually, I just saw an awesome thing uh, Thompson's doing now. I think it's called Satellite Down. Um, I think that's what it's called. Anyway, it looks amazing, and his wife, or not wife, sorry, woo, his girlfriend Lisa's calling it Lisa Jackson. Hey, but the time just goes out, maybe. I don't know, they've been together for like eight years now. I don't think it's happening yet, but uh, we, we, they, they are doing that, and Mooney is, of course, like doing some really cool, awesome new projects. He just had like a really successful year on Grayson, and um, yeah, everybody's doing good, but I definitely got in thanks to them and Declan for sure. Um, but then after that, I got my first job at Marvel doing short stories, and then I just kept getting more gigs. Were you, was that always, like, the goal was, were you a Marvel girl, like, growing up? Uh, yeah, I was definitely a Spider-Man fan, and actually my first gig was doing a really short story for Spider-Man, written by one of the guys, I think, from Ain't It Cool? Or, okay. I think it was an Ain't It Cool news guy, I can't really remember, I do apologize, I think it was, though, I don't remember his name, but I think it was one of his other big breaks, too, and, uh, I did a Spider-Man short there, and also had, uh, Craven the Hunter in it, and no, he's, of no. course, always funny and cool. Yeah. So, it was, um, it was cool, I, like... 
I like doing Spidey. I don't know so much if I feel connected to the Spidey character now as a 27-year-old woman, but definitely through high school, well, through my youth, I loved him as a character. I've kind of noticed, and I mean, you know, for as long as I can remember, Dan Slott's been writing it, so I don't know if it's just because, you know, he's not my jam or not, but I just... the. Spidey stories for like quite a number of years have just been not the type of Spider-Man stories that I read a lot when I was a kid. He's just changed in style a lot. I guess I just haven't been reading, so I'm not really sure what the stories are even like now. I like Dan Slott as a person, though, and I think, I mean, he's obviously got such great success, he must be writing good stuff. I wish I was reading. I, A, don't even have time to read, and B, I mean, I think I really fell off the Spider-Man bandwagon when um, I think you've, of course, heard my bitching about this when they got rid of MJ and that whole relationship and mm. I think that was a Joe Casada turn. I think he said that they needed to do that. Yeah. And uh, because they he needed to become more relatable to fans. He wanted to be single again, yeah. And I just could not side with that as a <laughs> 27-year-old redhead who had been... You know, at the time, I was like, what, 20 maybe when that happened? I might have even been younger. But, I mean, I was livid because that... I mean, I was livid, and I am a white, blonde, right. like, dude from Dublin. Like, right. I had no connection I mean, to any character. It is sort but... of, like, that whole idea, though, like, you know, I know we got to be progressive. Like, there are a lot of people who are mad about Princess Leia flying X-Wings and Gwen Stacy being a superhero. Like, I like all these new things, but I feel like the MJ and Spider-Man thing had just been such a long-running thing. And then also to eradicate it and also kind of throw in a lot of canon really made me upset. Yeah. It's like, we already lost Jean Grey. You know, they bring her back every now and again for something cool, but although people are also kind of getting sick of that. But we all know nobody really dies in the universe of uh, Marvel or DC. Well, especially if your name is Phoenix. Right, exactly. I mean, I think your whole jam is supposed to be coming rising from the dead right exactly. at that point. <laughs> but I mean, I love Jean, and they got rid of Jean, and then they got rid of MJ, and so I'm just waiting for them to, you know, kill off all my other favorite redheaded characters, you know. Well, you seem to have a redheaded character in almost every comic book you do these days. I mean, like, pretty much everything you've done with Declan has... That's not on me, for okay. the record. Is that a, de- is that a Shelby thing? For, no, for the record, <laughs> Warren asked for Maria an injection to have auburn dark hair, dark auburn red hair, okay? okay. That was that, so I was like, oh my god, people are going to think I'm throwing in a redhead. I'm not. <laughs> Jeff Parker teases me because he knows I like redheads, so he does throw in a redhead occasionally for me, but he'll also be like, in parentheses in a script, like, Jordy can make this girl redheaded if she wants. Like, that's one thing, but like, if you really see redheaded characters that aren't in the background, that's not me. That's normally a them thing. That's okay. normally in the script. Alright. I wish. I think it's a, a comic book thing anyway. I mean, I think they love having redheaded, especially in Marvel, they love having redheaded characters. I think it was, have you seen the Dustin Nguyen piece of all the watercolor redheads no it's a really beautiful piece I'll have to show you it's beautiful he oh Dustin is like amazing he's this he paints really beautiful stuff in um watercolor I think it's a watercolor piece but um I think back in the day personally I think they must have been using redheads because of the prints like because of the very few colors so I feel like blonde black and like red I think it stands out I think it yeah. looks like I think they're just the easiest colors yeah yeah I, I, that and probably Stanley has a thing <laughs> I would not be surprised if he had a thing I really wouldn't though he does love Gwen I know he loves Gwen Stacy but MJ you know she was always the best in my opinion um, so approximately because you lie every time you answer this so I'm going to see what answer you come oh, up with no. today how many comic books are you doing at the moment at the moment I'm doing a few <laughs> We're, are we double figures, right? Well, not as many as you would think. A but like, less. you're usually doing a dozen at any time. I'm doing like just less than a dozen. Okay. But I'm coloring graphic novels, so I have to take off some time. And also, right. some of my image books are going to be taking their breaks for their hiatuses to catch up on all that lead time. Yeah. And um, 
you know, but then like the fall will be crazy again. But I wanna do it if I didn't love it all. Like there are plenty of books that I mean, I've been on for a long time now. I won't name them, but people are like, <laughs> you know, you've been on that book a while. Maybe you should go ahead and like leave it. But I'm like, no, cause I like these books and I wanna stay yeah. on my books. So, you know, there's like five books I could probably color in my sleep that I have. And then like there are another three or four that like are pulling teeth and they're really hard to color. I, I think like the, the, are just kind of whatever. the longest run you've done is probably X Files, like for like consecutive amount of comics. I think I think I might have done maybe twenty or twenty five issues of that now, maybe more. It's definitely and it's one I really, really, really enjoy. I love working with Joe and Matt, and before we had Michael on there too, Michael Walsh. But Matthew Dell Smith and Joe Harris are really good at telling really good paced um, X Files stories. I'm such an X Files nerd. Yeah, I was just gonna say like it's it's like one of your big jets. Oh like, yeah. You know, favorite shows I love it and I love coloring it I really do love coloring it and Matt's so good like he makes my job really easy because he like does all the hard work for me so when I go like when he does flames or like somebody bursting into flames it's like I don't know. I just love coloring stuff. <laughs> I just think it's really cool. And plus, I get to color Julian Anderson every month. So, like, yeah. talking about my redheads, right? <laughs> I'm not going to be upset about that. I'm really happy to be able to color Julian Anderson. And, uh, yeah, it's cool. And also, in that Hannibal auction that recently just happened, I totally bid on a pair of Julian Anderson earrings. Did you know that? No. And I won them. <laughs> and I'm going to wear them all the time. <laughs> what kind of shape are they? they it's cool, because actually they are in Hannibal. They're kind of shaped like teeth, but they're not teeth. Okay. So I actually didn't know what they were. I kept passing them through them in the um, auction lot. But then when I uh, finally clicked on them, because I was like, Julian Anderson earrings, maybe I'll bid on these. And I saw them. They kind of like look like teeth. I don't know. You'll see them, because I'm going to be wearing them all the time. I'm yeah. not joking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Once they arrive. And as I was telling Declan, they've been inside of Julian Anderson's head. So maybe like I'll like gain some really cool Julian Anderson superpowers. What inside her head? She had not inhale them or anything. They've, they've been, been hanging off her uh, head. They've been hanging off of her head. That's true. <laughs> what if she has one of those lobes, though, that's more attached to her head? Oh, yeah, like it doesn't, like, well, that's still on because the outside. Because it's not a dangly earring. They go in the head. No, but the ear's not part of the head, though. It's a it's separate not, appendage. It's cartilage, part of the head. Well, this is, like, not a cartilage, but it's a floppy Blood bit. still runs through it, so we'll have the blood of her, her awesomeness. <laughs> you can calm her. Right. Well, she's a goddess, and clearly the blood in her body is of uh, sweet Olympian nature, and I will somehow have just a little bit of that. If you could clone yourself... No. And, <laughs> Nobody wants that. And then, like, you leave the clone you to work on comics. What would you do? Would read you all time? and sleep all day. Really? I would just read and sleep all fucking day. Are you joking? I would sleep so much. Oh, I love sleep. A long time ago, I was watching this really... Uh, silly Zoe Deschanel video where she was interviewed and I was so annoyed because this was at a time where she was tweeting things constantly about like unicorns and sparkles and I was like I really thought because I like Zoe Deschanel a lot I do yeah. I'm not one of these haters for no reason but I remember being like I really wish that she was seemed a little more than her characters on TV like because she's she's clearly very smart so I was hoping that her Twitter and things would be more she, yeah she does I've followed her on Twitter for a while and I kind of stopped right. after a bit because it was it's I just was, very silly kind of candid stuff like she yeah. just talks like a Pinterest board would talk which is fine and all but like I was like cause that's I mean, a very accurate right. uh, I'm sure crazy. she has more things to say in person when you know her but I was kind of like oh come on Zoe Deschanel but then I was watching this interview with her and it really set me off for like ages because someone said like what is your favorite thing to do and Zoe Deschanel answers I like I like sleep 
And I remember being so annoyed and being like, Declan, can you believe that? Out of all the things that she says, her favorite thing to do is sleep. But now I understand yeah, that shit. Yeah, you get it. She works I understand hard. That. And now that I think of it, yeah, exactly. She works so hard. You can tell now during that interview, she did not want to be there. She probably yeah. just woken up, got her makeup put on, and sat down in the chair. And they're like, what do you wish you were doing right now? And she's like, I wish I was fucking here. So, yeah. That's something I always I find. Sleep. I just find it interesting when you see people like doing press junkets, like, and uh, for, you know, because, like, especially the guys who are doing the Marvel movies, I feel like they're just, like, constantly on a press junket. For what oh yes. Let's talk though. about what a horror Black Widow is to really tie this together, right? Oh no, Jeremy Renner. Remember, he said this terrible. Oh yeah, things. yeah, yeah. I'm still pissed off about that myself. Well, I, I mean, personally, I don't like Jeremy Renner anyway. I'm I, not going to get into it. I don't I, really care for him. I, 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 I never thought the big deal. No, I don't understand it at all. I think he's he's like dry toast. <laughs> as yeah, he really does just, look like dry toast. But he, he just no. He's he's got like zero. He's got minus one personality. Like Aww. if he was a Dungeons and Dragons character. Um, but. But uh, was gonna say yeah. So like I'm always because you know I do interviews and stuff like that, and so I often imagine like what would I do if I was an interviewer in those situations, and I always because I know they do like a million one interview, so I thought like well you want to give them a kind of a break from answering the same questions over and over again, right? But then you get some people who come in and almost go too far off that, and they're kind of like. Listen, man, it's been a long day. Can I just say the fucking answers? Right. Like, like, oh, yeah, because they expect else. them, yeah. Yeah, so it's it's a, it's a fine line um, to Well, do draw. you remember the Milo Kunis guy? I know you love that guy. Oh, Milo I... Milo Kunis was I being enjoy- interviewed for... I, yeah, he, he was a radio, uh, an English radio uh, guy. He was not, he's not normally a DJ. I think he's like... Well, it was in- a video interview, though. Yeah. She was there, and he's like... I interrupt to hang out with the lads yeah so let's go like to like Watford Football Club or something like that like and yeah but I'm like you can tell she got a giggle out of it but I've seen it happen with like Robert Downey Jr. and some other people where he's just kind of like yeah, let's not do this. Oh, like, right. That was that was not the same interviewer, though. Cause I think that, it's a different person, yeah, but they're but, doing the same sort of thing. that guy also asked Robert Downey Jr. about his drug addictions, if I remember oh, correctly. Okay. Right, and right, that right. really pissed him off, because to be fair, Robert Downey Jr. is, like, way past that. I don't think I'd really want to talk about something really tragic and horrible in my life from 12, 12 or 10 years ago. But especially if you're in the middle of a long press junket, and, like, oh, right. you've been at it for a couple of hours, it's early in the day. Because these things always happen at, like, 9 a.m. Yeah, I can't. Well. Oh, God, that sounds terrible. Yeah. God, I'm so happy I'm not a celebrity. It sounds awful. I know, I know. Well, that, you, I mean, you are a no, celebrity. No, 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 no. To a certain extent. With that kind of shit, and then the shit of people, like, hijacking your cloud accounts and, like, releasing your address. Like, I was listening to Felicia Day's book again when I was coloring Animal City, and she talks about Gamergate and how, like, she, mo- she wrote one po- post and then all these people released her address and, like... Yeah, you know, doxing, um, I think they call it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Will Wheaton had to get onto her and was like, you need to remove this post, turn off comments. Like, and she was, like, freaking out. And she said, like, the thing that freaks her out the most is that her address is out there so it can be used for any time ever because she knows people screenshot that shit. And the whole time. And Felicia Day even had her book jokes around that she's not even famous famous. Like, she's pretty yeah. famous. But she's not she's, like Jennifer she's, Lawrence famous. No, but she's uh, she's nerd famous, as right. they say. Like within a certain community, she's right. very big. And if she's nerd famous, then I'm like. I think uh, you're nerd famous I'm a, too. But I'm a percentage of that nerd famous. I'm like I'm like point five percent of whatever fame that is. Okay. Like because she's like yeah. But I mean, and that freaks me out because I have seen comic ladies come under fire too, and it's really scary. But like I can't imagine being the whole hundred percent celebrity like Jennifer Lawrence. Or Taylor Swift. It just sounds terrible. No, and but I guess to a certain extent, when you're that famous, you get separated from it a little bit. Like someone like you Taylor, have to, I think. someone like Taylor Swift, I feel like is probably wouldn't even know about half of the stuff that's said about her. I'd Not say. true. Haven't you seen how she embraces like all of that? She, uh, 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 no, it's me, Becca, or or Becky. No, it's Becky. No, I don't know. Have one. you not heard this? 
this shit? No. Oh my god, okay. I have to try to remember it as best as I can. But if I fuck up, don't worry, we're gonna talk about it later. But okay. she basically, like, somebody put out a photo of Taylor Swift on Tumblr saying, This is not a photo of Taylor Swift. This is a photo of someone named Becky. <laughs> and then someone said, No, this is totally Taylor Swift. And then Taylor Swift, like, responded saying, like, No, it's me, Becky, or something. Somebody made okay. a joke about that. Right. Taylor Swift, like, days later, is seen out in public and she's made a t shirt that says, No, it's me, Becky. Yeah, but. And so people were like, the but internet exploded but here's my, hilarious here's my question though how much was that like a PA who brought her a t-shirt saying here wear this it would be hilarious fair enough except Taylor Swift does seem a little more crafty than that sorry I hate to be one of these people but I, I am I like, obsessed with Taylor Swift I like Taylor Swift yeah. I have to admit I'm she very really impressed cool. by her which I didn't like her music at first but I gotta say I loved her per- I remember telling you this like a year yeah. ago I wanted to love her music but I couldn't stand it because I thought she seemed so cool as a person right. but now I kind of like her music 1989, turned me around. 1989 is a legit album it's a pretty it's, it's, it's a bit repetitive, but it's a pretty good album. Yeah, but it's that eighties kind of vibe to it, like yes. this, which I kind of, it's my, you know, is my jam. So. I know your jams for sure. Yeah. Yes, you, <laughs> you sing. Me and Declan have been making fun of you because you sing around the house all the time. <laughs> Um, so you mentioned about ladies in comics, and I suppose that's a nice segue to talk about uh, comics are for everybody. Oh, okay. Are you still? Are you over that now? <laughs> I'm not. There's. I'm never gonna be over it. Comics are for everybody. I made that in response to somebody saying, "I like my nerd girls the way I like my coffee. I don't like coffee." Fuck that person. Yeah. Fuck people who don't want women in comics, and anybody who doesn't want to hear stories or hear opinions from the LGBT community or other ethnicities or minorities. It's bullshit. We need more people from every sort of place. We need, um, you know, disabled people. We need black people. We need, like, just women. We need transgender. We need everybody. So I'm not over it. I want well, more. I guess, I guess what I mean by over it is that, like, did you, I guess, do you feel like you got what you wanted out of starting that? I think it, I'm just happy when I see people wearing the shirt. That is what right. I wanted. Because for me to say it on my high tower is not going anywhere, really. Because as I think I've told you in many heated arguments, is that it's like, unless you're a white man, you can't always make a difference. And it's hard. I think women aren't always heard in these situations. It's like the invisible woman thing. A woman will be like, we should hire some, um, we should hire some new fresh faces for this place. And then no one will hear her. And a white man will be, we should hire some new fresh faces. That's a great idea, Jim. <laughs> like, I think that happens. Yeah, so definitely. I'm happy. Not that I think any of these men wearing the shirts or supporting it do that, obviously. These are all very great men. But like Karen Gill, and makes a very good way of wearing the shirt. I know I've seen Scott Snyder wearing the shirt. But I think I think it is like you said. I mean, I think it, it, it's it's up to guys to be aware that yes, we can help spread a message further because we are white guys. Yeah, you're part of the solution. Like, yeah. As much as like I know a lot of people joke about taking down the patriarchy. I think that. Uh, part of that is it, it's funny and it's it's true in a lot of ways but we do need men and we want the support of men to help bring women up i mean like because it's we we don't want to do it alone we shouldn't have to do it alone we well, should all be on it and on it together but this, the system is rigged it's the system that's broken but yeah. men aren't broken men still have their own individual thoughts and that's yeah. what they need to do they need to unclick from the program but because but because they're in the system it's easier for them to help bring it down because it helps them yeah. So it doesn't help a man to to stop and help a woman. It's about being larger than the actual 
ideas of the world. You need to actually follow your own ideas, I think. But that's why I love guys like Karen Gillan, because Karen and Jamie, for instance, Jamie McKelvey, they both just follow uh, their own tune. They don't they don't care about the system, especially Karen, who's like been really good and integral at writing all these really great stories and having these awesome fan bases. I don't think I've ever heard any crude or bad story about him involving women. Not that I really want to. No. And I'm sure everyone has something in their past that they're not proud of, but... Yeah, everyone was 21 at some point. Right. But Karen... And Warren, like, just lots of these guys really strike me as guys who, like, just just care more than about the larger ideas of the world. They just want to do what they want to do because they believe it's right. And those are, thankfully, really good ideas that they're pushing forward, like yeah. equality and women and um, just representation across the board. I think it was Declan who was making a comment when we were working on the latest issue of Injection because I was really happy. There's, like, a whole conversation that happens maybe over five or six pages in one of the issues and there's no white person there. I was like, or there's a white person there, but he doesn't say anything. He's okay. like kept to the background because he's technically like the butler of Vivek. Right. And I was like, oh, that's that's just awesome. Like <laughs> you have uh, two black people and you also have an Indian man speaking at length, not even about like, you know, about how they're oppressed or anything. Nothing like typical like that. Of, no. You know, it's, they're, they're, they have a big lofty plot right. that they're dealing with. So, right. Yeah. And it has nothing to do with their their ethnicities or anything. It's just, it was just nice to see that, you know, and one of them's also a woman. Like, okay. it's just, it's just nice. That kind of shit is really awesome. Uh, what comic do you feel like you've had the most input in? My comics? Of the comics I've been working yeah. on? Yeah. I think probably anything with Declan. Declan's been really good about listening to everything I say. I think that every other book, I mean, and obviously the secret book I'm working on that I can't say anything about, and you and I are also developing some stuff together. So aside from stuff that I'm actually properly co-writer on, I don't feel, or writer, I don't feel like I really have any input, to be honest. But really just injection, I would say. Warren was really good to ask me what I wanted to see in the book. Okay. And Eric Stevenson actually did just ask me that too, though. For our next series, he asked me if I had anything to add or wanted to see or not see. That's good. That, I thought that was cool. Yeah. But um, not really a whole lot of input. But probably injection because Declan and I work in the same room, and he wants to keep me sweet. Right. Well, yeah, he lives with you. Yeah. Which helps. <laughs> yeah, it does help. Uh, but it's it's strange though that because like I feel of all the the pieces that like put together a comic book, under like colors comes third in the queue but they're still third in the queue right so you'd think that they would probably have more of an input but they don't seem to well not complete creative input because all that stuff's happening behind the scenes before a colorist really gets there okay unless sometimes a colorist oh for instance like with vision i don't know if it was already going that way but i love our first arc of vision and our first arc of vision was all based in um like tom king gabriel walter we did all these autumns and stuff and i mean i was really psyched i don't know if it was meant to really be autumn but i went full autumn okay i think like tom mentioned leaves in the in the background and stuff but any colors could have made that whatever but i went super autumn super norman rock well that's your like you love autumn i love autumn but then so when we were doing this next arc I said guys I also don't know what we're thinking in terms of setting but I really hope we don't have to do more autumn because I mean I already done it for like I think five or six issues I said I think it would be really cool since it's based in Virginia to do snowy winter time or if we went spring because in the spring they had these really beautiful pink blossoms that happen everywhere which of course would look really cool next to vision so I said let's do one of these two things and I sent them those photos and they're like oh Jordi like we're already thinking that that sounds great but I love it because I got some ink pages from Gabriel last night and it's all winter like it's all snow and all barren and it's gonna look so cool so I think in certain ways like that if you are uh thinking ahead and if you're communicating with your team as a colorist or as a letterer you can make ideas but basically if you make an idea after the fact 
It's not going to be used, but right. it could be used for future because you're basically not a part of those beginning conversations. You know what I mean? Right. You're not, you're not CC'd on the emails. Not always. You're not, right. you're just normally not there at the inception, which is also where I think a lot of these people feel that there is the lack of um, ownership credit when it comes to a colorist because we're not there at the inception of some ideas, okay. which is why I do feel so different on teams like my image books because I'm there at the inception at basically a lot of thoughts. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's, a, it's an interesting thing, because I think you and Matt Hollingsworth were, like, probably the first two colorists that made me kind of pay attention to Is colorists. that just because we were at that show you interviewed us at? No, because <laughs> the reason why I went to that show is because you guys were there. I wasn't going to go otherwise. Um, it was it was only because of the two of you were there. It was like, shit, I want to talk to these guys. Because, yeah. like, it's, it, it really was something that I even didn't think twice about. Because I think part of it was a lot of samey colorists as well, especially There's at Marvel and stuff yeah. like that. But, like, you two guys were the first ones that was like, shit, this is really different looking. We're pretty cool. <laughs> no, Matt, Matt's really cool. But, yeah, I felt the same. I didn't even really know coloring was a thing until I started hearing about it from Declan. I'd already been a huge fan of comics, and I was like, I can do what? No. Like, it's not something people think about. I also think that sometimes if you do your job well enough, people might not notice it. Well, yeah, they always. I've heard that suggested before that, like you know, oh, the good thing is to not be, uh, to not draw attention to what you are because mm-hmm. you're supposed to blend in. But I kind of disagree with that because if I look at then like what when you start doing, I know you said there was like colorist before you for like the first two issues of Nowhere Man, um, but oh, but only my issues were printed. Oh, you're really? talking about Manhattan Projects, I think. Oh, Manhattan Projects. Sorry, yeah, right. yeah, yeah. Uh, like just the the coloring on that drew my attention to it for mm. good reasons mm-hmm. I mean it was different it was like the red and the blue and the thing and you saw it so before that was kind of Hickman's idea originally oh, yeah, but, like, yeah, yeah. but even just how you accomplished that well scope is definitely different between colorists that's the thing is that you can tell somebody make this red and somebody will go for a different you know not everyone's going to have the same idea of what a red room looks like yeah basically. exactly so I mean I would agree I mean there is one colorist in particular who won't be named but man that guy really got on my nerves because a long time ago we did this really big lofty interview about how he didn't really need cover credit and how he felt like yeah color should be behind the scenes and he was happy to be part of production and happy to be part of the team and I read all that and I was like this is the biggest piece of fucking shit I've ever fucking read like this guy <laughs> is so fucking and now he does not talk like that now he's like proper I want rates I want royalties right. and you should be like that but I think a lot of people have been conditioned to feel especially colors conditioned to feel that you're part of production especially when you've been part of an industry for like five or seven years and you're just sort of used to that as the norm right. but thankfully a lot of us young whippersnappers are coming in here like pew pew give me money pew pew give me respect <laughs> like, you're just not you're just not going to take it anymore because there is a scope and it really should have been respected a long time ago and it's weird because it has been off and on respected like that's the strange thing yeah. so hopefully this respect that colorists are kind of gaining will stay now there's still a bit of problems like I know um, another colorist was complaining because the Eisner list just came out the other day and they were not covering or they did not credit um, colorists on covers which can be pretty upsetting I have to say even as a colorist of Declan's covers it gets me really I mean it's just Twitter so like who cares until Twitter but like Declan will put out a cover that I also maybe helped with the idea yeah. and so but people don't know the idea is like conceived between the two of us no big deal right but like because that doesn't really bother me but uh, when he posts a cover and he gets something like 600 retweets and like all these compliments from like all my favorite people and comics and heroes yeah. that maybe don't ever give me time of day all the time and then I'm not credited even though color is such a big part like without the color that and it's not like he designated where to put color yeah like, I, I color those covers really on my own and 
that kind of stuff can really upset me. So I see more and more colors pushing back about little credits like that. Because that stuff is important, like just knowing who does color stuff. Oh, yeah. And it also helps with your brand. And as Declan says all the time, it's that third heat. So I don't understand the not crediting colors because when you have somebody like, who's a big writer right now? Let's say, well, hmm. Tom King. Tom King. I love Tom King. So let's say you have Tom King. He's awesome. Well, now you're just talking like Batman, I guess. But yeah, so you have like Tom King and like, like, well, Visions is getting a lot of, that's true. a lot of like, you know, that's talk true. right now. So, but you have Tom King, and Tom King's now is gonna like, he's gonna be this new house name. I think he's gonna yeah. be really big. He's gonna be as big as Scott Runday, Scott Snyder. So I mean, you have Tom King, who's this really big artist, and then you or a writer, and then you bring on a really big artist. Let's say like Sean Murphy someday. And Sean Murphy's like this huge double threat, right? So this is like two things. Like, why would you not mention like and colors by Dave McCaig? Like right there, that already sounds like a great book. But why would you not say? And Dave McKay, yeah. who's been making amazing comic books and worked for Blizzard Entertainment, has worked for Star Wars, all these amazing things for, oh, I don't know, like 12 or 15 years. Yeah. He's that third heat. He's just going to make your book more exciting. More people are going to be able to imagine what it's going to look like rather than just like, you know what I mean? Yeah, well, I mean, I, I'm, I'm starting to feel I like... I digressed. I'm sorry. I just no, get so but, mad about but, but No, I get it because it's, I've started to notice colorist names kind of be mentioned more and I think they're getting that they are getting their own fan base now. Oh, they definitely like, are. Matt Wilson, I think, is really good. Oh, he's got like, a huge you know. fan base. When you go to his, at him at shows, he's got lines. Like, I also yeah. got lines. People go to him, though, and they get color commissions as well. Like, Matt's like proper, like, he knows how to how to work at a show and people mm -hmm. love that about Matt and Matt's also really really nice like I mean he's not an asshole at all I feel like sometimes you can go to a show and run into an artist who's maybe a little more entitled but I think that's also the best part about colorists and letters is that they're really not entitled they're happy to meet fans right now they're happy to be well because they've uh, got they've readers. gone without credit for so long so they're happy to get the attention yeah, like, yeah. they love talking <laughs> to readers they love being around readers I mean it, it's weird I was at another signing once where I signed a book and a guy was like making fun of me for signing it because I was only the colorist and so now I have a habit of asking people when they're getting books signed by me and Declan like hi and do you want me to sign it like I still do this every right. time and Declan gets mad Declan's like if they want you to sign it like they're putting it in front of me they're giving good they're gonna get yeah. you to sign it but I'm like not everybody wants their book signed by the colorist like you know what I mean I guess I mean but there's, there, I, I reckon there are people who are kind of like you know there's uh, there are people who only drink coke they, <laughs> do you know what I mean like if someone's like we don't have coke but we have pepsi no I'll, no thank you exactly <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a strange no or, or all or nothing sort of thing I'm yeah like, yeah it's, it's a bummer I don't get it anyway we uh, asked for questions from twitter oh okay and uh, you know what I enjoyed is a lot of people asked a question and then went no but seriously and then they asked another question so I'm a joke but you know what I'm gonna ask those fucking questions okay. <laughs> Uh, so, sorry folks, but you're going to have to live with your choices. <laughs> Are we allowed to curse? Oh yeah, definitely. I, I, I said feck instead a couple of times, so I'm trying to get into that habit in general. Yeah, because feck is so much better. It, technically, it's not a curse word. I heard a child say feck once, and I was like, oh, bold. <laughs> Very bold indeed, sir. But I noticed it's, not, it's a huge difference between American uh, people and, and Irish people as well, because I was in a, a toy store once with two grown men. Oh, no. And we were chatting, and I called one of them the motherfucker, and everybody went, <gasps> and there was like an eight-year-old kid with his mother, and the mother was giving me death stares, and I was like, don't act like he hasn't heard it in school. Right. Like, <laughs> like They say motherfucker, apparently. Well... It was America. Whatever. 
Oh, that was America. Oh, yeah. that's why. Sorry, I missed that beginning part. Yeah, no, over here, no one would look turned. Oh, like, yeah, yeah. My, my niece, like, said the piss to me the other day. Jesus! And she's, like, 13. And oh, <laughs> Lord. Although, yeah, in an American school, by the way, yeah, that kid's here in Wales. Yeah, he's here in Wales. Okay, so Kelly Fitzpatrick, uh, the colorist on Bitch Planet, uh, yeah. said the question, uh, how many smooshes does uh, Jordy give uh, her cat, Buffy Belair, uh, daily, and has she conned Declan Shelby into getting a dog yet? I want a dog. We haven't gotten one yet. We're hoping for one this year, maybe. I really, really want one. There was talk about getting a second cat. A second cat, maybe. Yeah. Because they put that parasite in you, and then you want all the cats. <laughs> it's like it's like they put it in your brain, like, get more cats. You're like, yes, I will get more cats. <laughs> Soon you will become a cat lady. But uh, I, I kiss on Buffy all day long. Sometimes it's weird. Sometimes a whole day will go by, and we won't know where she is. And then we'll be like, where's Buffy? And we'll call her. She's very good. She'll come down. You'll hear her little bell. <laughs> well, that's her meow. But yes, her little bell and her meow, meow, and then she'll come into the studio and we'll be like, we haven't loved on you all day. And then we'll love on her. And then she's like, that's enough. Goodbye. As someone who works in the studio, I can attest to that as well. Yes. Yes. Uh, And then here's her no for real uh, question. Uh, I'd like to hear about how the internship stuff is going. So for anyone who doesn't know, you've been doing uh, some internships at the studio. Well, because we started this studio thing kind of officially now. We're calling it Red Cube Studio because there's a big red cube at part of our uh, apartment complex. Yeah. And so we live in a nice new big apartment. So we thought now we have all this room. So we got extra desk space. And so we've been taking on interns and trying to do workshops while we're here. Declan right now has, we call them interns, but they really are more of an apprentice type situation because they're not being paid and we're just teaching them. We're not trying to make them do things for us. That's why we have our assistant, um, who is also making (laughs) his own podcasts. Um, But yeah, we we have uh, Owen Marin right now, who's Declan's intern. For inking and uh, just Is Elle still an intern? No, Elle's not an intern. She's past she's, intern. Oh, yeah, she's past interning. But she does work for Declan occasionally doing production stuff and she gets paid for that, like lining borders and Elle technical Power. things, scanning. Yeah, she's great. Elle Power's awesome, doing awesome animation stuff. And then I have two new interns that I've taken. They're my first interns in a long time. I guess if you want to count Kelly Fitzpatrick actually as an old intern, she was kind of like, uh, she was flatting and I was teaching her stuff as we went for a while. And now she's colorist extraordinaire. And Ruth was my proper intern turn before that so i mean so far ruth redmond and kelly kelly's working at dc within two years i think of kind of being trained by me and ruth was working for marvel within a year so i think so far they have a pretty good track record so my new two ladies are rebecca nalty and dervla kelly i think so and uh they're great they're both ladies they're both gonna be fucking amazing good so hopefully you know we'll see in a year where they're at if they want to pursue it or not but you've only you've only had like two classes with them so only far, two so. classes with them so yeah. far but it will run until june and oh and then we also are taking on one person for october for a whole week but that's not so much an internship as that is kind of like readying intensive, your portfolio intensive yeah. workshop yeah um anthony myers asks how on earth does she manage to color so many comics each year does she ever sleep i have no life i've been saying this for years <laughs> who is on this podcast right now is my best friend and he knows hey. that i do not go anywhere i don't talk with him i had to hire him as an assistant just so i could see him at least every week <laughs> so i'm actually literally paying my best friend to see me yeah. it's not i'm not in a good place so that's how you get all your work done you have no life and no children and you just stay at home all day yeah as someone who can attest to like your sleeping hours oh yeah those aren't good either no you're not you're not not really getting by so the answer is uh you're stealing the soul of a young uh, orphan child yes uh trina tree farrell um where does she shop because i love her style i shop everywhere but my favorite shops are oasis 
here in Ireland are really good. I love them. And I also like, what's that other one? Zara? Mint Velvet. Oh, Mint Velvet. I actually don't like Zara because they have a lot of this like problem right now with their, um, lately because of the, their labor. It really freaks me out. So oh, I recently okay. did buy some jeans from Zara, but I felt so fucking terrible buying them from, buying them from Zara. Like, yeah. I wanted to just like cry. I'm gonna have to make a really big charity <laughs> donation to like um, the even out your karma. Labor. Well, not even just karma. I just feel bad. I have to find something to abolish children labor laws right. like a charity and do that whenever I buy from Zara. Like double my okay. thing. Um, but yeah, Oasis is, is your main. Store. Oasis and Mint Velvet are my yeah. favorite. And All Saints occasionally. Um, all Saints. I, I wish I could afford to shop them. I can't really even afford because I there. I yeah. It's like it's it's my sort of style, but I. It's, it's kind of like golfer for you. It's a little black, but it, they do have a lot of grays. Well, you made yeah, you made fun of me for like a full year for not wearing gray pants in blue today. Yeah, well, this is yeah. You would normally not well, you know what? Now that I know, All Saints gift card for Christmas. <laughs> so. Yeah, thank you very much. Um, and then uh, Trina's uh, no, but seriously, uh, <laughs> can I ask if she's ever had trouble approaching a script? Uh, a script like as a writer see that question I don't know if as a writer yes but as a colorist approaching a script I am only coloring it there are some times when I've read a script and I'm like I didn't understand any of that I can't remember which scripts they were but there was like three scripts like ages ago actually to give them to Declan I was like I don't understand what the fuck this guy was trying to say can you please read this script and get back to me and that's when the art makes no sense in okay. the script that happened like maybe three years ago though I haven't had it happen in a long time but uh so I've never really had much trouble really most writers that I work with now are really clear they use photos they don't have mixed up all different types of fonts or anything well you're usually working with someone who's been in the business for a long time right. it's very rare that you work with a new person yeah they're clear about page counts they're clear about settings things like that that's normally all I need but then as a writer I have yeah. to say it's been pretty difficult like I enjoy writing I tend to like be able to streamline and write for like a whole night and I'll have like a whole draft for something but then I have to really start picking it apart but I don't think I've had too much trouble yet we'll see okay I'm enjoying it it's yeah I'm not saying it's like super easy no but I, th I but, think you know. I think you've uh, it's been it's been nice seeing you kind of get excited about doing it oh yeah because like having worked so hard as like as people have mentioned like at coloring for so long I think even just doing something different like that has been a good I just hope it doesn't fail I hope people don't hate it that's my biggest I think that's my biggest concern about do you think writing. about everything but no but when you do write people are such jerks about everything so I'm <laughs> really hoping that I don't put it out there and people are like this has been done before this is and there probably will be people like that Everything, anyway. everything's been done people say that are stupid I'm just worried I'm just worried All but right. it'll probably it's, at least it's fun for me and it's fun for the person I'm working with so um, I'm going to use the names that people actually say so I'm sorry this is not your real name but you chose this Broken, <laughs> Broken Spambot uh, okay. asked uh, I'd like to know what Jordy's working day is like how the hell she does it all so it's a simple question but in essence give them an idea of how what like how many things you do in one day okay well first I wake up and I go right into my studio and I check my email and then I go get some coffee and then I come right back sorry my kitchen's upstairs again and then I come back down into the studio and then I get right to work normally my work day will be like reading a script along the line art I only like to look at the art and the script together I have to kind of ping around and check for flatters flatters are people who kind of um, separate all the colors for you so you can actually very quickly color an image it's um if you're curious about what flatting is I would say google it there are a lot of articles now kind of explaining what flatting is and what it does for colorists so I have to kind of ping all my projects because there are so many making sure line arts uploaded to be flatted make sure things are downloaded to be not 
you know, flatted or whatever, email editors asking for more time or asking where pages are because who knows where my week is. And then I just color basically from whatever that time would be, depending on what awful time I wake up. I color <laughs> for like, I would say 12 to 14 hours a day, uh, kind of with no breaks. Um, I'm not really into taking breaks. It's not my thing. I think that it really kills my momentum. And while I'm working, I listen to like documentaries. I listen to shows. I listen to audiobooks. I have lots of cool uh, things that I do there. Um, and that's basically it. And then I just repeat the next day. But um, that's basically it. Now, uh, on l- 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 lines of that, God, my words are gone. Uh, me you brain good. good. <laughs> <laughs> uh, someone asked about flats. They asked, why do flats not really look close at all to finished colours? What's the deal with flats? The deal with flats is that they are just basically... That was Tom, by the way. They're, Tom who? Uh, just Tom. Oh, okay. That's it. Oh, hello, Tom. <laughs> they are made just to make the colorist's job easier. Sometimes people will get... Um, a flatter who knows what kind of shapes and colors are kind of in the same wheelhouse like they'll make Hulk green for instance but sometimes you send your things off to a flatter and they'll come back as what we call rainbow flats like Hulk will be like really really black or he'll be purple or right. whatever like because they're just making separations it's not their job to find colors for you and even when you do send something to a flatter and if the flatter has any idea what certain colors are like David Cooper flats X-Files for me and I actually give him all these and he's also a colorist right now too colorist in training and aspiring to be super pro for sure He's going to be awesome. Um, hopefully, he'll still work with me <laughs> in, his, in his free time if he ever has any because um, I'm going to miss him. But he flats X-Files for me. And so he generally makes everybody like like Julian Anderson will have like a reddish hair and she'll be wearing like a purple suit, a whitish shirt, and she'll have normal skin. But even though she'll look normal to a lot of people, I still go through and I change all those colors. But, you know, flats are never, they never, I don't personally feel should ever be treated as the real color. If flats ever make it to print, I think that that flatter not only needs to be credited as a colorist assistant, but, you know, they also need to be paid more um, as a flatter. Flatters aren't paid badly or anything if you're treating them well, but um, flatting is a very thankless job. They don't get credit in the book. Yeah. It's simply production. It's really just straight-up monkey work, and without flatters, people would not be able to get the jobs done. So yeah. um, that's basically the deal with flatters. If, I think what I kind of notice about it when I've seen them done is it's kind of like it makes... Because if you look at just a page of, like, just inks, like white and black... Can be it, you, it can be difficult to make out what yeah. some uh, figures are and right. things like that so yeah the, as I normally put it they make sense of it for me yeah like, which is my favorite thing so yeah um, now uh, here's another uh, now you're going to have to talk about this because none of this makes sense to me um, Anthony Harris asks Jordy uh, has the ability to scale when rendering and palette complexity perfectly for various artists oh my gosh how do how do? Is that the full question? How that do? Is, yeah, how do? How how do? I I think that's very generous of you. Thank you very much. <laughs> I really just try to go off of what I know the artist normally likes and what I think will suit the artist in that moment. So like Chris Somney, for instance, we've worked together a few times and I've rendered him a lot before and I've rendered him less than other times and that's all based kind of on what Chris sees for that. Moon Knight's another good example uh, with Greg Smallwood. When I did Greg's first arc, we used cuts and rendered a little more fiercely on the faces and now I'm doing something a lot more softer on our newer run and that was just a conversation I had with Greg about I want to be more restrained or I want to do this um so I think it's a you just kind of I always say I follow a set of rules whenever I start a new project and so I stick with those rules so if I go into a project where it's like I don't know I'm working with um David Finch right now if I want to render David Finch to high hell, I can, but I'm deciding not to. And it's not because of any other reason besides it's just 
it's something I'm going to try. And if it works and we like it, then I'll make it go to print. But there's no, I don't know if there's any real genius behind it. I change it up with everybody if I can. Doc Shaner, I'm sorry, last example. I'm working with Evan Shaner on For Future Quest right now. And him and I have worked together quite a few times. And every time I've ever rendered him, it's always been really soft. And this um, series, I really wanted to render him more painterly, like go Al Parker with it. I don't think I'm going to be able to because of um, the economics of schedule. But, um, you know, it's it's not, I haven't been rendering him in one way just because I think that's all that will suit him. It's just all that we've been able to do. So, I don't know, I just like to try something different with everybody. Yeah, because like, what you do on, like, Plutona and, like, uh, the, They're Not Like Us is, like, hugely different to what you do on Injection or... Um... Yeah, I try to keep them all a little... Again, I just try to have different rules for all of them. And if sometimes yeah. I feel like all the rules are the same, I'm, like, I'm doing too many of the same things, and I'll try to make just something a little bit different. Is there anything that you... Any style or thing that you wanted to try that you haven't had a chance yeah, to do? Yeah, I really want to render the hell out of uh, Shainer. I really... The way Evan Shainer colors himself is, like, amazing. Uh, like, all these people have been complimenting the Future Quest covers, but I have not been coloring those covers. Doc, mm. Doc's been coloring all those. But that's exactly how I want to color Doc. Right. But I'm waiting for the time and the right schedule to color Evan that way because okay. I really want to just go to town old school style, like 70s uh, it, style. It does take up a lot more time to kind of do rendering. To render like and to... Well, to make things look lush and intentional and full of purpose and drama like I want to bring a lot of style to his stuff so that's that's a specific stuff I really want to just like Al Parker Kobe Whitmore which are like really great you know illustrators I just want to paint the shit out of something like that really bad that's okay. the one thing I haven't really gotten to do cool yeah um, I think this is our last one cool uh, this is from Andrew uh, was it Tom King's decision to bring uh, you on to Batman? Uh, also, how does she work on so many books and keep the quality? So we'll get into that separately because I want to rephrase that question, I think, a little bit. Okay. Because um, we've talked about how much right. work you do a lot. Well, I think Tom Tom was a big reason why I came over to Batman. I'm not going to say, like, I'm sure that the people in the offices of Batman, like Mark Doyle is cool, and him and I have a history. I mean, he knows me, and he likes my boyfriend quite a lot, Declan, and they're going to be working together, of course, on All-Star Batman. But Tom and I have a really great relationship from Vision and Tom actually asked to work with me a while ago on a private project and I wasn't able to um, before he became the Tom King. And now he's the Tom King and I'm very, <laughs> very grateful that he still wants to work with me because at this point Tom could have anybody he wants. But he wants to work with me on Batman. So um, yeah, I kind of took it uh, for Tom and Tom, I mean, obviously because it's Batman too, but yeah. I really want to stay with Tom as long as I can. I really like his writing. I think he's an exciting fresh guy with really cool ideas. I like that he has this really weird history with the CIA none of us know too much about. Although, I mean, I don't know how far I can trust him because of that, but, uh, you know, he's a he's a really cool, cool, interesting writer, so um, but it's he like, definitely it's, was part of it. But it's like we were talking about earlier on, if you have a team of people working on a comic that's, like, working that's well... That's how Tom saw it. Like, Mar like uh, right. Marvel's vision is, like, you know, is... Everyone's talking about how great I'm that so is at the grateful. moment. I'm so grateful. I really wish Gabriel and Tom had gotten a... Uh, well, that was the thing. I'm sure, I'm sure, but I'm sure he would have liked it because I know we, Gabriel's not working on you know the Batman comic with yeah. him because his wrists would shatter if he tries to do both. Right. I'm sure. Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, but like he wants to try and keep as many people together yeah. because he knows it works well. Well, also me and Gabriel plan on staying together too. He's not coming over to Batman, but me and Gabe do plan on staying together. Cool. So I think that happens in comics is once you find somebody that you really click with, you just don't want to let go. Yeah. Like you'll try to make it work any way you can. Look at Kieran and Jamie and Kettler and uh, Matt Wilson and Clayton. Yeah. They all click so well. I don't think anybody's going to penetrate with any of that until one of them dies. I'm sure they've penetrated each other. Oh, no. Uh, 
their minds, of course, you mean their minds. <laughs> sure, sure, sure. Uh, and uh, so I'm going to rephrase the, the how you work in so many books and, uh, and, and kind of put it down to what's, do you know what your limit is? Oh, yes. And how can you tell that limit? Like, have you, have you just found it from, like, trial and error? I gauge my limit with red flags. If I'm starting to work on a project and if somebody upsets me because of something discourteous or rude or unprofessional, I'll quit a book right there because it, and it really annoys me when people are like, oh, but give it a chance or, oh, we're really sorry, it won't happen again. I'm like, no, 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 it will happen again. And if it doesn't happen again, I'm glad because it won't happen again and somebody else will get this really awesome project that right. they probably deserve because that's also the other thing is I don't want to be a hog with all these really cool projects. So I'm really bad about accepting red flags. People get about two red flags with me now and I'm done. And there was a time when I didn't even have the red flag system and I got walked on all, all, all the time. There are other colorists who are like, if this happens, fuck it. If that happens, fuck it. If this person does that, fuck it. And I'm not that cynical yet. I'm not that right. bitter, but I am, I am super professional in a way. I think that I personally think I'm super professional. I try to be as professional as I can be and missed lots of unprofessionalism. But um, my red flag system helps me know my limits. And also I gauge it by my emotions. If my, if I start to basically get shitty and ratty all day, I realize I probably am stressed out. And <laughs> I probably need to look at my books and what's stressing me out. I right. think that sometimes stress isn't, you don't always know if you're actually stressed until you start expressing yourself or not sleeping or I don't know. Base, I'm just trying to listen to my body more. I'm trying to listen to my brain and my, my body more. If I'm not sleeping, I probably have too much work I haven't considered. And maybe I should ask for more time or quit right. a project or maybe not accept a project I've been offered. Um, and to keep the quality, I mean, like, I just, you know, that's what it is. It's about managing the, the projects, like which ones are worth keeping, which ones are worth taking the time on, which you know, I right. don't know. Quality is easy as long as you have the right quantity, I think. Yeah, because you're lucky you're in a position where you're doing enough books, but you're doing enough high-profile books that you can kind of... You don't have to worry about the money that you're making. You can pick a project more so on... I'm grateful uh, to be in that position. How it appeals to you, like, you know, creatively, you know, I think more a so. lot of people talked about me getting to that point, and I never thought it would happen. Yeah. Like, because even two years ago, Declan was telling me... I mean, because two years ago, I could have been more choosy, really. I've right. been in a good place for a while, but I'm still worried even this year... I'm just worried that people will all figure out I'm an imposter and that they should all <laughs> fire me and that I'm actually really terrible at my job. Well, so, but I know a lot of people have that problem. So yeah, it's a, the imposter syndrome is right. a common thing. Right. But uh, I kind of proof that you're not an imposter is the fact that you've been nominated for your second oh, Eisner, stop, stop. Yeah. which you got announced the, the week of this recording. I'm sure it was an accident. <laughs> <laughs> I always make the joke that they meant to nominate Jordi Bernay, who was this really talented uh, artist. <laughs> Yeah, they meant to they meant to nominate him both times, but uh, no, I'm I'm very happy and grateful and excited about that too, and especially because Betty Brettweiser is talking about comics are for everybody and stuff. She bought one of my shirts too. Yeah. I love actually, I think I sent her one. It doesn't matter. The comic, <laughs> she has she one. wore it, and I was she so happy. One. Betty Brettweiser and Laura Allred, and I was telling somebody, I think it was Declan, that in this um, category, I think it's the most I've ever seen women in it is two, and they're way more like. Um, I would say prolific women in the coloring industry. Yeah. And it's unfortunate because I mean, like I love Dave Stewart. Do not get me wrong. I absolutely fucking adore Dave Stewart. And if I could, I would scoop his brains out and eat them yeah. and gain all of his powers if it was not illegal or creepy. But he is uh, dominating the industry so long. He's been doing it for like um, eight or nine years. I think winning all these Eisners and women have, not been even nominated so much and it's just such a bummer but I love that now there are three I mean I'm one of those women I would have been happy if it was just Laura and Betty but Laura Allred Betty Brettweiser and me I'm just like 
fuck yeah, man. Deal with the dudes. Deal with the colorist dudes. There's lots of us. <laughs> so, uh, and plus women took home a lot of Eisner nominations this year. So I'm just jazzed all over about the Eisners this year. Not just for myself, but all these other ladies that I know and friends. And uh, you didn't, you weren't there to accept your Eisner two years ago when you won. No. Um, I'd broken my foot. Do you think you would have had a speech? Yeah, I put my speech online. Oh, did you? Kind of. Oh, yeah, I was in it. Did I mention you? You did. <laughs> I guess I did. Because I remember when you posted it, I was just like, you know, oh, does it, no, doesn't mention me, don't care. And then I read it, I was like, oh, no, wait, it does. <laughs> yeah, hate your stupid face. Yeah, I don't know. I, I am not this kind of person who's like, I worked really hard to get here. I'm not that type of person. I um, I, I worked hard to get where I am, but I also give a lot of credit to my friends and my family and other creators and stuff and yeah. for every little bit of success I ever have. So, of course, I thank my friends and my flatters and other people. But yeah, that's yeah, that was the speech I did that year. So you don't think you because I know you. You don't like cons. You don't like going to the conventions. No, I've already actually said if there's by any long shot in hell that I win this year against the amazing Betty Burt Weiser or Laura Allred. I mean, John Rauch is also awesome. I love John. I've been a huge fan of John Rauch and Dave Stewart. But of course, I love John. I love you, John. I love you, and I love Dave. But I'm really gunning for Laura and right. Betty because they're my ladies. Yeah, I get it. I'm really gunning for them. Really, I can't. I get like emotional. I get like really <laughs> pleased. I'm so happy for John and Dave. But it's just it's Betty and Laura. Like, what can you do? But um, <laughs> Betty and Laura, I really want one of them to win. But if I end up by somehow winning, which would be completely ridiculous, I told Eric Stevenson I need him to pick up my award. Okay. Yes. And then he made a joke and said, "You should go, and I'll carry you on the stage." And I said. My foot's not broken anymore. And he said, <laughs> Otter still stands. <laughs> so, I mean, as hilarious as that would be, and I would certainly make him do that. Um, no, Eric is uh, a really great friend of mine and a great collaborator. So if anything were to happen, I, wa- I want him to get it. He he is so much the future of comics and has been so supportive of all of the things image, I want to do. Image is killing it right now. They're awesome. They're absolutely killing it. They're really awesome. So he would he would do it. Uh, maybe he wouldn't say anything or maybe he'd get all emotional because I know how much he likes me. Because <laughs> I work with him on his book so he has to um, I ask everybody at the end of the podcast what song would they like to play out on oh so you should have had me out, you should have asked me this earlier so I could think of no that. I always spring it on people oh oh I have one. Oh wait no wait I have one hold on I have one okay do you need to think of the name of it no I have it stop your words <laughs> it's see I'm stuck between two okay I want yeah, I know the one I want. Okay. Nobody's gonna like it. Okay. But I like it. That's fine. It's but your podcast, so you can get to play what you want. I want the Toadies. Um, yeah, nobody knows the song. That's why I'm gonna make Irish people listen to it. I forgot the name of it, but I'll show you the name of it. Well, actually, most of our listeners are American, so oh, yeah. Oh shit! Okay, hold on. I want. I can't. I'm forgetting the name of it, but I used it as a reference point in one of the newest scripts I just wrote. Possum Kingdom, of course. Possum Kingdom by the Toadies. <laughs> <laughs> Did I win a prize? <laughs> Okay, Paws and Kingdom by the Toadies. That's what we'll play on. Paws and Kingdom by the Toadies. Is that not what I said? I don't know. You said Paws and Kingdom by the Toadies. I should Leprechauns in your gourd. Hey, you actually got a little bit of my Irish accent and my terrible British accent. Now we got to round it out with an American accent, Aaron. For me? Yeah, obviously. I've done two horrible impressions. I, you should do I, I will do, but with just one word. You should I will just do my, I, no, I will do my Geordie impression. No! With one word, one word. Erin! It is Erin! <laughs> don't say your name wrong! I really thought you were gonna go, no. 
Да, 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 да. Well, it's been a great best friend chat. I'm sure everyone would love the part where I was going to kill you later. That's going to be very nice to hear in my voice. They'll love it. Yes. Make up your mind. Decide to walk with me around the lake tonight. Around the lake tonight.